Petey in pajamas. All right. Hey, Peggy, how's it going? I'm doing good, Justin. How are oh, you? Good, good. Thanks for doing this. Um, do you want to start off and tell us, like, how you got into education and why you became a teacher? You bet. Okay. So um, I just finished my 30th year um, in teaching, and um, I went to college to be a teacher right out of high school. And um, I think the why is because I just, of the teachers that I had when I was in school, um, they inspired me, and um, I, I remember having those sparks of of learning and engagement and wanting to um, replicate that as a professional. And so, um, you know, just a, a classroom experiences from elementary to middle school to high school, and um, I wanted to be able to replicate that. So I went into education and I um, got my first job in 1991 teaching here in Twin Falls, Idaho. And I've never left. What uh, what school? Did so you, I, was your first job? At? So my first job was at O'Leary Middle School, and it was a junior high then. Um, okay. And you know, if if anybody can can survive their first year like that, then I knew that I was up for success because um, I got hired after the school year started, oh, no. um, two weeks in because <laughs> they weren't accredited. And so O'Leary um, was it? Yeah, because oh. it was back when they did accreditation by numbers, okay. and their class sizes were too high, so they had to hire another teacher. So I got hired two weeks in, and so I took, so other, all the classes had to take and cut, like divvy up their students, and um, I'll tell you that they didn't divvy up their nice students. Um, <laughs> so I got a lot of behavior oh, problems, man. and I um, didn't have a classroom, and I pushed a cart. And then I taught five subjects, because I was elementary certified, so I taught social studies and science and reading and language arts, and both seventh and eighth grade. Oh my so gosh. it was insane, but um, it, it, it it taught me a lot about resilience and um, I had to it taught me the importance of classroom engagement that first year because I had to make sure um, that I was able to get those students to listen and to want to learn and not take advantage of a 22 year old fresh out of college that really yeah. didn't know what she was doing as a side note where did you go to college you go in Idaho or no I went to college in Montana Montana yeah okay yeah, I went to a um, called Carroll College to okay private school in Helena. Nice. Yeah. nice. And I have a, um, a cousin that got a job down here, and so I applied. and Came yeah, down here, came too. Down. Oh, yeah. man. So, okay, so you're, you're 22. You're starting in the classroom here at O'Leary. Do you feel like uh, your, your training in college prepared you to engage students in learning, or do you feel like you had enough tools going into it? You know, I think personal experience helped me more than anything. Um, you know, of course, the college prep was great, um, I feel like the education program I had was was great, but nothing truly does prepare you um, for those real world first time interactions. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, looking back on it, I really think that um, prior knowledge and using experience from um, just for my own schooling really helped me. I would remember, um, you know, trying to how did my English teacher. Um, get my students to really, or get me as a student to really want to um, read a novel or mm. to discuss a novel or to do a writing. So I would think of strategies that he used. And then, um, you know, when I was teaching science, I thought of strategies that my science, my high school science teacher did. So I, I, um, I used those resources and I, used, I reached out to them as resources often as well. That's fine. I'll put it down there so it doesn't. <laughs> I, I, I kind of think. I learned a lot in college, but then I do, I reflect all the time on when I was a student, what 
what brought me brought this lesson made it so meaningful you know Mm -hmm. and it's that life experience that we kind of you know we have so many textbooks and we have so many things that we we study and learn but it's really those real life experiences Mm -hmm. and and things that we could reflect on that help us you know as we go on and teach and yeah what do we do kind of thing you know I agree and I think when you think of teaching um you know there's I, I think that it really shows that curriculum and textbooks are all tools the, the real learning comes from your experience and from those conversations that you can have um, and getting to know your students and trying to get that that um, you know get that click to make them want to um, to be engaged and to learn more and you know textbooks can help you with it but they're not the they're not the end all yeah they're just a tool well I gotta ask do you still remember what that first day was like oh yeah like, whoa. I'll never Did forget it. Was it, it good? Never Is it bad? It. I don't know. Like, um, you know, it was um, it was crazy. Like, I remember the day I got hired. Um, it was, uh, they they were having an assembly, um, like a grade level assembly each grade. And so the principal took me down. And um, it's funny because they did video yearbooks then. And if you look at the video yearbook, you can <laughs> see me standing up against the wall. I hadn't been hired yet. It was during my interview that that happened. But my first day with students was was tough because I had, you know, all of the rules that they tell you, like when you first start, and I, it went out the window within 20 minutes because it didn't work. Um, I had to be a personable person. I, rem- I did have college teachers say, don't smile until, you know, set your rules, make sure that they know you're strict, make sure you, they know you're serious. And that wasn't my style, and so it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So I had to make it personal, and I had to go off on what I knew would work. Mm-hmm. And so my first, um, my first year was tough. Second year, I got an actual classroom job and started teaching language arts, and life was good. But um, that first year was a challenge. Oh, wow. So you, how long were you at O'Leary? Then what so I taught there for five years. Um, oh. um, after that, I went to language arts for four years. And then, um, believe it or not, I opened the alternative middle school, um, the alternative junior high. Um, it was an opportunity I took. My husband was um, also a teacher at the time. and. Uh, they were sharing the building with the, our alternative high school, so their hours were um, two to eight. Okay. So um, I thought, oh, this will be great. The kids will only have to be in daycare in the morning. And yeah. so I took that job, and um, but it wasn't as great as I thought. The kids were great. The school was great. The concept was great, but it just didn't work out with the family needs. Um, it was just hard. My two to eight ended up being sometimes ten to eight or oh, yeah. eight because oh, yeah. you'd have to come in for meetings and it just was it just became too much so I left there and went to Sawtooth Elementary and taught sixth grade for Sawtooth. I want to say 12 years I think 12 years I taught um, Sawtooth sixth grade and then when the middle school opened um, when, O'Leary, when Twin Falls went to a middle school um, concept I moved back up to um, O'Leary and started teaching math middle school oh. math Math? math, from language, language arts, arts to math. math. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you spent a lot of time teaching math there, and then so. Yep. So then I taught um, ten years. I don't know if my math is adding up. Close to that. Ten years with middle school math, so sixth, seventh, and eighth grade math, and then I became an instructional coach four years ago. Oh wow! So a depth of knowledge here. A depth of knowledge. Sure. So much experience. <laughs> well, and I'm sure you know. As we talk about classroom engagement, you've had just, you've seen so much in your own career. You've seen a lot as a coach helping other teachers. But how would you define it? Like, what is the definition of an engaged classroom engagement? You know, I think it, it, it just differs um, from student to student, from class to class. But I think classroom engagement, because you could have 
um, you know, 100% engagement in some lessons and in other lessons you might not. Um, but you, is it a, a teacher that recognizes when you don't have that engagement is mm-hmm. that's where the power comes. But engagement just means that you, to me, when I'm as a coach, when I'm looking for engagement in a classroom, um, I'm looking for students that are um, involved in the lesson. They're paying attention. They're asking questions. Um, they're having discussions um, within, the, with the, maybe with the teacher or within groups or with partners, and and they really understand. Um, you know, I think when you learn about engagement, it's like, um, would, if I walked in, would a student be able to tell me the objective? And that ne- doesn't necessarily tell me if they're engaged because they may not be able to rephrase that, but I can tell they're learning by watching and hearing them, hearing their conversations. Yeah. Well, we always, I, when I worked in NAMPA, we had to write um, the, what is it called? The objective on the board, mm-hmm. and then in student-friendly terms. Sure. So anyone could walk in there and say, well, what are you doing today? Agreed. Look right at the board, and they can say, Absolutely. why? It doesn't mean that they're engaged yeah, or anything yeah. like that, but they can define it. I think that's part of the process, mm-hmm. because I do like to walk in the classrooms and talk to kids and say, well, what are you doing? And then I'm like, well, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And it's a the second answer, the second question, why, always gets a really diverse mm-hmm. um, answer. Some some kids, rarely, you know, it's rare that they can articulate, well, this is meaningful because this is going to give me this skill and this and this. A lot of times it's because I have to, because this is what she's teaching right now, you know, things like that. So I think one of the things of engagement is the student interests. Absolutely. Um, how, how can you like identify student interests and how can you bring those into the classroom are those is that possible? you know i think um student interest is um is really the golden ticket um and, and you're going to get student interest by making connections mm-hmm. and you have to make connections with your students even the students that you may not just may not agree with you have to make those connections and when you can build a relationship with your students you're going to have engagement at some point like and it might not be a hundred percent in the lesson but they're going to remember parts of it because they know that you care about them um, that's to me when you can get those relationships and you can make those um, connections your student engagement really does um, go up it, it, it helps how do you learn about can you know I don't know you probably know the teacher workload right now most you know teachers well that's separate elementary that have one classroom but secondary teachers have 130 plus students they teach in a year how do you get to know yeah it's hard kids um it's it's really hard um to do that but i think um you know just even if you did it as a group like you knew um maybe you have a group of students and you know okay like you just know what know your classrooms look at your lists have those conversations with your colleagues because maybe the colleagues know more i think talking with your colleagues is really important but if you know that students are in drama for example then ask how's it going when's your performance um, can you send me an invitation? I'd like to go watch. If you know they're in band, same thing. If you know that they're in athletic events, same thing. And if they don't do any of that, maybe you know they read. I mean, I can tell you I'd be teaching a math class and I'd have kids with their nose in a book. I'd have to go over and say, okay, we're doing math now. Let's put that away. And, but then that would give me a ticket to say, so um, I see you reading a lot of these books. What do you like about them? And then getting to know them and say, okay, well, let's talk about this later and let's do our math. Just little things like that, just mm-hmm. to help get that engagement. When the students know they care, when the students know you care, they're going to do better. So if I remember as well, you know, I am, 
I like old school Mario. I play 1985 Mario. I think that's the best game ever. But <laughs> I think when when I was especially when I taught band, there was a lot. I had a lot of kids who liked to play a lot of video games that I wasn't very familiar with. But we had some really meaningful conversations. Like, okay, show me how to play. Like, what is so cool about this? And um, I'm not opposed to video games in any way, but I just didn't know. But then I would find that while I was in a classroom setting with those kids and I needed something from them, there was, they were more willing to give it, you know, there wasn't as much resistance. And it's like, you could call it that, uh, uh, like Brene Brown calls those little marbles. You put those mm-hmm. little marbles in a jar and yep. you can catch them in later. And like, what does it mean to, to give those little marbles? And it's moments like that. Like, let me, let me hear about your book. Hey, I saw your, you hit uh, a double at baseball, mm-hmm. you know, all these little things. I think they go a long way, but uh, is that is that possible for teachers? Is there so much yeah. time in the day? Can you go to every band concert and every ball game? And no, I don't think you can go to all of them, but you can still talk talk about it. Try say, hey, I heard. I, you know, I and I, I can tell you, I didn't go to every event, but I tried to ask about how it went, and if I could go, I would go. Yeah. Um, I just think that that's important. I think, um, you know, just look. Greeting it with a smile. I mean, that does a long ways too. Like, I know that you'll you'll people will say you should meet your students at the door. I can't tell you how important that is for those teachers that are stand out in the hallway in between classes and don't sit behind their desk trying to panically get ready for the next class coming in. Standing outside your door makes and seeing the students interact in the hallway. Um, maybe once once every other week or so, walk through the lunchroom when they're in there having lunch. Um, you know, just. Say, hey, how's it going? Or just, you know, as they're walking down the hall, if you're walking down to the copy machine and you see a student, start talking to them. Walk down the hall with them. I just think those are the, some of the connections that you can make that make, let them know that you really, truly care about who they are and then have those, you know, the conversations um, in the classroom. So then if you learn all these things about the kids, how do you tie it into, like, a lesson? How do you make that? Because that's where the moment is. You're going to get more better. You're going to get improved behaviors. But... If you, how can you bring those interests that you know the kids have into a math lesson or lang- language arts? Or? You know, you might not be able to um, bring their their personal connections into the actual lesson, but when you can tell, so the things that I used to do when I taught math was, I would I would sometimes just tell personal stories of my own and let them know me, and they I think their engagement happened because they wanted to they wanted to impress me they wanted to do what i wanted them to do because they knew i cared about them so i don't know that you necessarily have to take the connections and tie it to your lesson Mm -hmm. but the connections are to know that you see them as real human beings that um that you care about and that's where the connection comes and then that's where the student engagement can come it takes time and it takes practice but i think it i think really when i look at um, what I did as a teacher and what I see my um, teachers that I coach doing, it's getting to know the students and know, you know, this kid um, can't sit still for 30 minutes. I got to make sure that I'm constantly giving him, you know, mm-hmm. tasks or something. And so those are the things that you could do. So it might not necessarily be um, what they know or what they like to get them engaged in your lesson. It's more getting to know them as a person. Yeah. Well, I know we all can't be, you know, the social studies teacher who just kind of pulls up the news and has a discussion on that every day. Um, nothing wrong with that, uh, social studies teachers out there, but I, what about those math teachers and language arts teachers? How can we connect the real world and bring that in more to our lessons mm-hmm. instead of, you know, just 
putting it over in that area. You know, when I taught language arts, I, it was really easy to do through literature yeah. and through um, journal writing. Um, and so when I started teaching math and um, probably in the last four or five years when, you know, when we really started shifting um, the focus of math to more of the, um, the common core and the, um, the hands-on approach mm -hmm. of math, I um, started to do a journal in math. And um, I, it, was, it was a challenge, but it helped me keep grounded and get the students um, to be able to, to talk about what they're doing in their class. And then it helped me say, okay, I know that this student is struggling with this area, I need to work on that. So I did math journals. Um, it was a lot of work and mm -hmm. a lot of time took a lot of time to, to go through them and grade them, and I didn't get to everybody's every day, um, but it was part of their grade, and it was something that I felt that it was, um, it was a good way for me to connect, because then they could talk about it. And the journals were very open-ended. Sometimes they were very specific to um, the lesson, and other times it was more like, you know, what have you, you know, what's a math thing you've done, or something like it was more, open-ended so it gave those like, kids what did you have, have mm -hmm. used math this week in yeah, some way something, or, yeah something you know, goofy like that because then it gave those kids that maybe were struggling with the lesson an opportunity to to share a success like mm -hmm. hey i went to the store and i watched the lady count back change and that might sound really young but sometimes for sixth graders that's a big deal to understand yeah. that whole change thing right so yeah which is disappearing, right? What's change anymore? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, uh, you're going to need to count your change. Am I really going to need to yeah. count my change? I <laughs> yeah, remember the last time I counted my change. But it is you need to keep a ledger so you know how much is in your debit account. You need account. to know it, yes. <laughs> you got to read that thing and know how much is coming in. Um, so, okay, this is like the moment that every teacher dreads where you've planned a lesson and you realize that there's nothing for the kids to do. Have you ever had that happen to you at all? Like, Absolutely. What was it like, and how did you move past it, and it's okay if it... You know, um, I'll tell you that the hardest, the worst time that that can happen is when you're teaching, um, I, when I was teaching accelerated kids, because, men mm -hmm. they wanted to be learning all the time, and they did not like downtime. Mm -hmm. And so that was always like, oh, my gosh, dang it. How am I going to get them back? Um, and so that was always a challenge. But it, it happens with all of my it happened with all of my classes. And I think um, it's you know you you plan a lesson and you think it's going to take time and kids know more than they thought or they don't understand it. And so then it's like now what? And so I I tried. Um, I'm not going to say I was an expert at it, but um, there were times when I would just pull out um, old tricks. Like I would uh, do a round of around the world. Um, even sixth graders and seventh oh, yeah. graders can practice their multiplication facts. Um, I had a couple of dice games that um, were really like a lot of probability, um, but you could do it at any time. So I pulled those out, but that was only if I had a whole class that wasn't engaged because you'll find that you're going to have some lessons that you're going to have students that finish quickly and you're going to have students that it takes them the whole class period. And so, you know, you could do the easy route and just tell your students to bring a book every day to class. Mm -hmm. But that's not honoring their learning because they're just, that's, they're doing their free time work, right? So um, I tried, and I'm not saying I was an expert at this, but it's something that I did work on, was um, having some extension activity. So if you you know, as a teacher, and especially as a new teacher coming out, try to really look at your lessons and think of like, what's an extension of this? 
and um, you know use your resources and if there are some extensions have those readily available and then challenge your students to do those um, and if you set it up correctly those kids will do it mm-hmm. um, so that's that's something that I tried to do um, just so that I had something for because you just never know I mean rarely will your whole class be off off yeah you know it's usually a, you'll have a, a few that finish early or they just don't want to do it and you're gonna have that happen as well and so then maybe having an alternative assignment so extension activities is like you're planning for those kids who are gonna finish early and you're mm-hmm. saying well when I know because you know your class yeah. right and you're, you know when these two kids are going to be done so quick because they're advanced, this is what I'm going to give them. Is that how much planning needs to go into really engaging the classroom? Um, you know, not necessarily. I, um, to be honest with you, when I planned, I always looked at, um, you know, I used my, my books, my textbooks as resources. And in the resources they always have, those textbooks typically have extension activities. So honestly, I would just read through it and think, and so sometimes I'd do it on the fly. It might not be exactly like that, but... Um, maybe I, if I was teaching a lesson on fractions, let's just say, and maybe the extension was you're going to develop a recipe and you're going to have more people on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to triple it. So then talk about how do I, you know, so then have them say, okay, this is the activity you did in class. I want you to take this, take what we learned about multiplying fractions and then how can I take a recipe? And then, so I just had little things at the ready yeah. um, that would kind of fit so it was more broad so it might um, might not be perfect for the lesson I mean maybe we were only adding fractions but maybe just plugging that in so I tried to have those kind of things but just really knowing um, what was going on I'll tell you a really good one um, that the students always liked is um, giving them um, opportunities to come up with questions to ask um, other people about math or about what they learned. Um, that was something that they always liked to do and they'd have to come up with their own questions and they would they could use their math journal to write those questions in. So sometimes if I was like, I don't have an extension, I don't have something for them, I would just say, okay, if you finish, I need you to get out your journal and I need you to write um, three questions that you're going to share with someone tonight about what you learned in class today or something like that. Have you ever been to Seattle and seen the fishmongers at Pikes Place Market? They make something as boring as selling fish so exciting that they have received national attention and recognition. The book Fish is all about how you can make your work a fun and meaningful place. This quick read can help re-energize your classroom or school. Go to cpd.nnu.edu and select Courses, then select Two Credit Book Studies and click Fish. So are you saying that a teacher, not that this has ever happened, a teacher who finishes a lesson early and allows kids to pull out their phones and be their idol is not engaging the classroom? You know, um, it, that drives me crazy. And here's what, and honestly, my, my perspective from that is you're st- that's starting to get your comparison of your haves and your have-nots. Yeah. Um, when, I, when you allow students to get out their phones, you're going to have those students that don't have phones. I know this day and age it might seem weird, but they don't. Or they might only have phones that they can only use. Um, you know, maybe their parents have track phones for them and they can only make calls. They don't mm-hmm. get on the internet. So to me, that's just you're separating in your your students. And I think that, that that's the first barrier that you're going to build to make those students um, feel like you don't understand them. So mm-hmm. I, I really discourage getting out your phones and letting them just have free time because. 
it's it's not fair to the kids that are trying to work. Well, I think before phones, and maybe correct me, uh, that we had to engage the kids when they didn't have anything to do. Mm-hmm. So we, because they either had to get a book out, you know, something like that you suggested, but you know, before we all these smartphones, if the kids were done early, it's almost like you got to engage them or they're going to be a behavior right now. Oh, I'm just going to stare at my phone for a while and they're mm-hmm. not a behavior. So we're not addressing it as much. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like since the phone is going to be more integrated into the, the classroom that we have maybe gotten a little bit lazy in letting that be a management tool? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, and I think that that's really, um, I think that's something that, you know, all teachers should need to stay away from. And they, there's there there may be a time or a place for them to pull out their phones. Um, there may be an opportunity for that. Um, but if you're going to do that, you need to make sure that um, it's fair for everyone. Mm-hmm. So that if students don't have access to phones and they have an access to a tablet that you have in the classroom mm-hmm. or something. Um, but the students staring at their phone, they could be Snapchatting, they could be on Instagram or whatever they're you know whatever the um, TikTok, I guess, um, <laughs> where they're just not, it has nothing to do with, and, and they're not engaging in the lesson, and they're not going to remember what they did in the class if they finish the class with a TikTok. Mm-hmm. So. And I know a lot of teachers out there are like, you know, this is real world, we got to engage them in TikTok and things like that, but I believe that the, the adolescent mind cannot control the temptation to be scrolling on no. Instagram or TikTok then stay focused on an activity. I'm all for you can make a video to demonstrate learning. I I like different ways of demonstrating it, but some of those can be just so um, addictive and tempting for kids that they're not on topic at all. And we think that, okay, maybe we're engaging in that and they're engaged in that activity, but are they really focusing on the standards? I don't know. That's to be determined maybe, but... I think too, you know, you've got students that just really... um, you know, when you, they have ADHD or whatever, where they are easily distracted. And, yeah. you know, computers can be super distracting. Even using um, an article, um, if you're using an article in the classroom, that can be distracting with the hyperlinks. So they might be reading about, um, you know, in a science class, reading about an animal, and then there's a hyperlink, and then they click the hyperlink, and now they're no longer reading about the animal, they're reading about a scientific study about <laughs> this, and then there's more hyperlinks, and they go, and you'll have students that are doing that. So from the surface, it looks like, wow, they are really engaged. You can see them writing and, and reading, but they're not where they were supposed to be mm-hmm. because they're so easily distracted by those blue hyperlinks. Yeah. Well, and how can we... I, I'm starting to feel that computers, most, especially with COVID, most schools have lots of more devices now. We have a lot more laptops than we ever had. Um, I started to feel that laptops are the same temptation and distraction to learning as phones are, probably because of some of the stuff that you said, but probably just because they can get on a a proxy server and go do whatever they want Mm -hmm. on it as well. How do we engage those learners with the technology so how do we keep them from not going down the rabbit hole of hyperlinks? How do we keep them yeah. on their screens the way they're supposed to be? I don't know. Technology is, is hard because you don't want to ignore the technology. Yeah. Um, and technology can provide a lot into a classroom. I mean, mm-hmm. you, can, you can utilize it in every subject that you teach. But um, it's so important to be on top of it. So um, as, an, as a teacher, I think the biggest mistake you could make is say, okay, here's the website I want you to go to. 
to do this and then you don't you don't walk around and check on them mm. and see where they're at I mean you you have to be visible all the time in that classroom mm-hmm. because especially with technology because like you said they can go to incognito websites I mean I didn't even know that existed but it does <laughs> um, or they can go to a browser where they're not even logged in and so um, I think it's really important that as a teacher you're walking around yeah. and you're participating in the lesson with them well they can they can uh, get on their phones and hotspot mm-hmm. and get bypass all the safeguards of the of the district, district internet and so uh, it's scanning the room I like that you got to walk around and what like are you just walking around looking at screens or are you discussing something with the kids or how do you think I think you as a teacher need to be engaged. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, you as a teacher have to be engaged in the lesson and you need to know what they're doing. So if you walk by a student and you see that they're, um, you know, whatever website they're on, maybe it's legit, but how are you going to know if you don't ask? Say, Mm -hmm. what are you working on? What is this helping you with? How is this helping your learning? Um, Having those, you know, those open-ended questions where they have to answer it. Um, You know, engagement has, the engagement has to come from the teacher too. Teacher mm-hmm. has to be engaged in the lesson. Yeah, because uh, you know there probably are teachers. Some teachers might um, be looking around and you see someone on like a game because there's a lot of web-based browser games that are easy to get through servers, mm-hmm. and they could say, "Well, yeah, I'm already done with this." What does the teacher do at that moment? Right, that's your definitive moment as a teacher. You're either gonna push that student to to engage further in the content, or you're gonna be like, "Well, they did what they're supposed to do." And, you know, I think, um, I think, uh, you know, it's easy for me to say this now is that because I'm not in the moment, but I think that, you know, if I were in that situation, I would probably ask the child, well, um, awesome, let me see it. How did you do it? Where are you? And, um, you know, hopefully they were being honest and they can talk to you about it. And that would give you an opportunity to extend their learning somehow. And mm-hmm. you can do that through conversation. So, um, and if they aren't being honest, it's an opportunity for you to talk about the importance of being honest in class and computer technology, and we have rules, we have guidelines in place, and this is why it's important, mm-hmm. we need you to finish this, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, rough. It, it's, it's, it's new. That's, I think, another thing is that we are not, we're kind of learning this with the kids as more and more technology is getting integrated, how do we keep engagement up, and how do we keep them on task, and what should we do? Maybe we don't even know at that point. And so um, it's good to have that conversation and have that conversation with teachers to know, hey, here's where I think you should go when this moment happens. Yeah, it's all new. And and if we learned anything from the last year, it's that um, the value of connections Mm -hmm. is so important. And, um, you know, I mean, there were students that were successful with online um, and not being in the classroom, but a lot of the ones that weren't successful were they lack that engagement, and so how do we get that back? Mm-hmm. And so this, this we have a um, we have a really good opportunity in this next school year to build on that um, technology momentum, but then to really um, take advantage of the importance of one-on-one, face-to-face class time instruction. Well, and I just think about years ago when they were saying, "Oh, we're going to get integrate so much technology," or in the and teacher. In some way, they're trying to replace teachers with it. Well, they got this big social experiment last year, and we learned that teachers are the most valuable thing in a kid's education. And I'm like, I'm sitting there looking at the news and society, and I'm like, you know, there. I, it wasn't too long ago when I thought you guys were saying the other thing, and now you're begging uh, for teachers to be this 
in those kids' lives. And I, we knew this all along, right? And it's so refreshing in some ways to say, hey, you know what, they are, we are so valuable and let's show everyone how valuable we, we really are. So not to get on that, you know, COVID, post-COVID no. tangent. But, but I, do think you know? I do think that as educators, we have some opportunities to, um, to really build on some positive things that happened during COVID because it wasn't all bad. Yeah. Um, so in, in summary here, if you had to leave one big advice or strategy with a new teacher or someone who feels like they're struggling with classroom engagement, what would, be, what would you leave them with? Be authentic. Be your true self. Um, students um, especially can see through somebody that's not being real. Um, so when you're authentic and you are your true self and they see you as a human and they see that you have strengths and weaknesses just as they do, they're more apt to um, want to learn from you. And then um, be prepared. You, you have to be over-prepared with every lesson that you go into every day. And don't be afraid to fall back on prior experiences. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me. Yep. Thanks, Justin. See ya. Pajamas.